Welcome to the Draft Nut Podcast. I am your host, Jared Feinberg, alongside my co-host, Devin Jackson, and we are your hosts for today's episode. Devin, good morning. How are you today? Doing all right, man. Uh, it was a rough game yesterday for the Saints, so still trying to kind of wrap my head around that one. Um, but Overall, it was a pretty good weekend. Uh, a lot of football to watch. Um, a lot of quality football. Had a really good Sunday night game. Um, you know, saw the Chiefs and Chargers go down to the wire. So it was a really, it was a really uh, good weekend of football. Uh, you know, just uh, just another week down. You know, hopefully things continue to look good and NFL players continue to uh, test negative for you know COVID. And uh, hopefully this week in college football, we have more games. Uh, we've been seeing cancellations. I think so far is like 29 college games that have been canceled. So uh, just hopefully, uh, you know, football players on the, on those campuses are doing the right thing. And in general, we're all doing the right thing and, and wearing a mask and, you know, uh, practicing social distancing. So hopefully we'll can, you know, finish out the college football season. NFL season looks like it's in good hands. So we'll see what happens next. One thing I noticed with all the college football games being canceled is like, it seems like it's all like group of five teams. Like a bunch of those teams are having to postpone or cancel their games because they don't, I don't know if it, they're having a problem with players or they just don't have the right protocols in place. I have no idea, but it seems like group of five teams, or not group of five, power five teams like the ACC, um, the Big 12, um, and so far so good, I've heard, or so far I've heard the SEC hasn't been doing too bad. Um, and then we'll get to the Big 10 here later on. But overall, I've been hearing some good stuff about like power five teams and how well they've handled um, the virus or uh, COVID-19 testing and all. So it's been good to hear that there hasn't been many postpone postponements or cancellations from the power five. So we have some stuff to get to, to get into today, um, such as the return of uh, the big 10 um, pre uh, the big 10 coming up uh, here next month, later this month. Um, we also, um, we're going to break down a little bit of Carolina, Tampa Bay, New Orleans, Las Vegas. Uh, we're also going to break down a little bit of Thursday night football here in just a second, as well as Sunday night football, along with the return of SEC football this weekend. So let's dive into Thursday night's game. When I say this is, this was a crucial game for Cleveland, I say this was a crucial game for Cleveland and it's I guess you could say it may be premature to say that early in the season, but when you're a team that's that talented and you're, and you lose a game that badly against Baltimore, I mean, granted, Baltimore is one of the better teams in the NFL, but when you have that type of talent and you have that young quarterback who you drafted number one overall in Baker Mayfield and he didn't play well, then you got a lot of question marks entering the next week and saying, Oh, are the Browns pretenders again this year? Well, they entered that in a big way this weekend. Um, and like I said, they were coming off a blowout loss to the Ravens this past Sunday, and they really needed something to spark something up on offense. Baker Mayfield had his best game 
in quite some time, going 16 for 23, 219 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception, which was his last throw of the game. Um, he was smart and efficient with the football. He was playing with swagger and insane amount of confidence. Uh, the throw that set the tone for Baker last or on Thursday night was his touchdown pass to OBJ. Um, that was one of the more beautiful throws I saw this past weekend. Like rolling, t- coming off play action on a bootleg, um, resetting his feet and just just throwing a beautiful um, ball downfield to Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, when I saw that throw after his first drive, like I was like, you know, the Baker's going to have a good game. Like it doesn't seem like he's the type of player we saw against Baltimore or even last year. This is a totally different player than we than we've seen like the last year or so, or since we've seen in his rookie year. So it it was really good to see. Mayfield back to being the player he was back in 2018. The interception towards the end of the game, which was his last throw, like I mentioned before, it was a bad throw, but he did did a good job um, being evasive in the pocket, um, being elusive against oncoming pass rushers, sliding up in the pocket, trying to make a good throw. It turned out to be a bad read, bad throw. I mean, he he's had quite a few of those almost every game the last few years or the last year or so. Uh, so Baker's turnovers, they, they've got to keep getting better. Or when I mean better, I mean like those turnovers should not be happening. But it, it definitely looked like Baker was back to being the player he was in 2018, back to being the player who was showing great swagger, confidence, leading the team up front, making great throws downfield and on the move. Like he, he looked like the player that we saw coming out of Oklahoma who ended up becoming the number one pick in the draft, who ended up being my top quarterback in the 2018 draft, which was my first year scouting for the NFL draft. Devin, what did you think of Baker Mayfield's game Thursday night? And do you think this will continue the rest of the season? <clears throat> yeah, so I thought he played really well. Um, like you said, you, you saw a lot, you said a lot of the things that I was thinking as well. He played very well. Um, especially coming off of that performance against the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, you just want to see him continue to improve. I think that the thing was that a lot of people overreacted, you know, and, you know, that happens from time to time. I feel like this weekend in general, you know, in compared to week one, week two is even more, a lot more re- overreactions uh, in terms of quarterback play. And, you know, it kind of just made me think about, you know, not only are people were downing, you know, Baker Mayfield, but we'll talk about Drew Locke later as well. He got hurt, but people are starting to doubt if he could be the franchise quarterback. So it seems like the quarterbacks that are struggling or, you know, having injury issues or whatnot, seems like people in their fan bases are already ready to move on from them. Uh, and I saw a lot of that with Baker Mayfield after week one. A lot of people said, you know, he's got to go. And, you know, if he doesn't get it, get a ride over the next couple of weeks, you know, we'll have to move on from him. So, you know, the patience with these young quarterbacks is very thin these days. I don't, I don't understand what it is. And, uh, you know, everyone wants instant success. Um, but uh, getting back to the game, you know, Baker looked really good. 
you know, it's just about him getting all his playmakers involved. I think that, you know, when they simplify the game and just allow him to play his own game and, and not try to confine him to, you know, do this and do that. And I think that's when he plays best. Um, you know, he makes some of his best plays off script. So, you know, getting him more comfortable and, you know, getting him to just trust that the offensive line is going to block for him and going to protect him and, uh, and, you know, trust the play calling and, and just make his reads. I think he'll be, he'll be just fine. They got the two headed monster at running back. Uh, you know, like I said, they got plenty of weapons out at receiver tight end. So they, they have all the requisite weapons for Cleveland to make a playoff run this year. So hopefully they can continue to play well. You know, it's not going to be easy this year. They got a tough division, but, uh, you know, if they can at least split, you know, with the Steelers or, you know, try to get that second game against the Ravens, that's going to be tough because the Ravens are playing super, really, really well, um, you know, and, and beat the Bengals again. I think they'll be just fine. Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, that's going to oh. be, I'm, I'm fully, ex- I'm, I'm fully expecting that one to be like the Rams and Chiefs from a couple of years ago. Oh, for sure. For sure. Like, when you have those two talented quarterbacks going head to head, two of arguably the best quarterbacks in the league going head to head on Monday night football on prime time, like, it doesn't get any better than that. And with two team, with both their teams being very good football teams, it's just, it's going to be fun to see that game. And I want to bring up that point of the two-headed monster um, in Cleveland of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. In my opinion, they got two top ten running backs in that backfield, and that's insane. We were let's not forget that Kareem Hunt before he had that off-field issue um, during the middle of the season two years ago, or yeah, two years ago. He was on his way to being a top running back in this league. Like, he is very talented. He was, uh, wasn't a first-round pick, of course. I mean, he was drafted in, I think it was day two. Um, was it day two or was it day three? I'm not sure. I think, I think it was day two. I'll look it up real quick. Uh, but yeah, he, he was certainly not uh, a first-round pick by any standards. Yeah. Um, Let's see here. He was like he had the he showed the great contact. Yeah, third round of the of the 2017 draft by the Chiefs. He had, I mean, Hunt was showing the balance, the quickness, the vision that made him a really good football player. The versatility as a receiver out of the backfield that made him the football player he was when he was with Kansas City. Nick Chubb is, I wouldn't say. He's a Derrick Henry-like running back. He's more fluid, more um, elusive than Derrick Henry. Henry is more the true elite downhill runner type of running back. So Nick Chubb, he possesses great power, great balance, um, good lower half strength, um, quick feet, insane athleticism. Like, you you look back at the, his combine scores. They were incredible. They were up there with Saquon Barkley's scores. He, like, I was surprised when he put up those numbers at the combine, but now seeing it transitioned into the to the NFL level a couple years later, it this is going to be a guy that could end up being one of the top running backs in the NFL 
if he isn't already. Um, Chubb and Hunt, if Mayfield isn't having the best day by any means, like at some point this, during the season, they can just go with the run game. Establish the run, baby. Establish that run game. Go, go give Chubb 10, 15 carries. Give Hunt 10, 15 carries as well. Let them run the ball. Let them run downfield. I mean, there's something wrong with that. They have, it looks like Cleveland now has plenty of different ways to win football games offensively. And their offensive line looked good Thursday night, which came to a surprise because when Chris Hubbard was listed as a starter at right tackle, I was like, they're really going to try and get Baker Mayfield killed out of here. Because Hubbard was trying to get Mayfield killed last year when he was a starter. But it was good to see the offensive line playing well. Jedrick Wills looked really, really good in his second start at left tackle after transitioning from right tackle at Alabama to being a left tackle here in Cleveland. So it was really good to see him play very well. Um, he was questionable, questionable before the game with a leg injury, but he ended up playing and played really well um, against a really solid Bengals front, which brings me to Cincinnati. Joe Burrow is a future star in this league if he isn't already. Despite having one of the worst offensive lines I've seen in the NFL this year, he has insanely, he, he was insanely poised in the pocket and showed great mobility in and out of it. He was throwing great balls all night and his two touchdowns were a thing of beauty. Like even the one late when it was just basically garbage time, yards, points, whatever. Like, he, he was making some incredible throws. They were spreading the ball out. They were spreading the field out. Um, they were going empty a bunch of times, which kind of that offense looked very, very similar to what LSU was running last year. So now that I think about it, you now have two LSU offenses in the NFL. Or no, well, actually three in a way with New Orleans, Carolina, Joe Brady's there, and then Zach Taylor basically – basically implementing that LSU offense to Cincinnati for Joe Burrow to succeed. And Burrow showed an incredible amount amount of confidence last night, or not last night, or last Thursday, um, and looked like a veteran QB out there. He was never phased by pressure and just keeps the team going offensively no matter the score. I think the Bengals have their guy of the future and a future star in this league in Joe Burrow. Like, this is... I, it wouldn't surprise me by next year, by the end of next year, Joe Burrow is one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. And if Cincinnati has a top draft pick in terms of like top five pick in this upcoming draft, they have to go offensive line. If it's, if it isn't, um, well, then it should be a trade back for a team that desperately wants to trade up. And that could be Miami if they want to go out and get a player, trade up for a player or somewhat. Like, Cincinnati has the guy to lead them for the next 10 to 15 years, in my opinion. I know it's his rookie year. I know we're kind of overreacting here. But he he just showed the talent of being, like, the game isn't too fast or too slow for him. It's just right. And I think being an older player or an older rookie kind of helps because he's a lot more mature for his age. 
and he he just shows that swagger and that confidence, and he's never faced by pressure, which it it's just incredible to see that type of quarterback come into the NFL, and people are like, oh, he this, there's a lot of pressure on him. He doesn't care about it, and that's just that makes me love him more, and that makes me feel like. If he's not faced by pressure, no matter what, even if it's pressure from the opposing defense crashing on him because his offensive line is complete shit, then I have no doubt Burrow's going to be a star in this league and potentially one of the superstars in this league in a couple of years. So what did you, what did you think of Joe Burrow's performance on Thursday night, Devin? Yeah, I mean, he he just shown why the Bengals wanted him at number one overall. Uh, the poise was there, uh, really the leadership. I think that, you know, for him to be a rookie captain, uh, that, that, that spoke volumes from week one that he is a main voice in that locker room and players really rally around him. Uh, I was disappointed in AJ Green's performance. I think that he really didn't help, help Burrow at all. Uh, he had 13 targets, I believe, or 12 targets. In that game, he only had three catches. Uh, so, I mean, you give credit to Denzel Ward and the Browns defense, but at the same time, A.J. Green got to make plays for him, man. Uh, he, he was struggling to make plays, uh, create separation. And, you know, when you have a young quarterback, you need to have that receiver that can get open and, and that can make those plays for you. And, you know, A.J. Green just hasn't looked the same player he was, you know, a couple of years ago before the injuries started to pile up on him. So the offensive line hasn't done him any help either. I mean, it was literally a play where Jonah Williams had to get a piece of two guys just to not kill Burrow. So I, you know, my hope is that a lot of these um, front offices learn from the Andrew Luck situation and try to get, you know, guys in there on the offensive line immediately to help them in their career. Because if the Colts would have got an offensive line sooner, they could have made a run earlier. I mean, and that's just a simple fact. The Bengals have some talent on defense. I've been seeing Jesse Bates, the third, get a lot of love on defensively for the Bengals. Um, they got some pieces on that football team, man. They're just an offensive line away from being a serious contender in the AFC North and, and potentially getting a wild card spot. So, you know, hopefully, you know, in this off season, either, you know, they draft offensive linemen or draft talent, talented offensive linemen. Uh, you know, with Panay Sewell, I wonder what they do if they do end up with him. With Jonah Williams, do they move him the right tackle? You know, where they kind of do shuffle him around. But the Bengals will definitely be in contention to be to have a top five, top ten pick. It'll be a rough season for them. Uh, offensive line is really, really poor. Uh, but you gotta give credit to Joe Burrow for continuing to stick in and, and, you know, he's one of those quarterbacks that, you know, like you said, isn't afraid of the moment, isn't afraid of the pressure, you know, compared to some other quarterbacks that, you know, kind of, you know, fade away when pressure's in their face. He always steps up in the pocket, steps into his throws and will take the hits and take the beating. But at some point, you gotta get him some protection and get him, um, you know, some pieces around him so he's not running for his life every single play. Yeah, and I think when you think about rookie quarterbacks, if you are a, if you're a team that's rebuilding and you draft a quarterback first, the next year offensive line has got to be number one priority, especially if it's really bad, especially when you don't have true veterans up front that are somewhat solid, somewhat average. 
like can do well enough to protect you, but will struggle at times as well. Bobby Hart does not need to be starting in the NFL as an offensive tackle. He shouldn't be on an NFL roster. He is garbage, garbage, garbage. Cincinnati fans can relate with me because I've seen this type of offensive tackle play in Carolina, and it's not fun, not fun at all. Which lead, and that leads me to Tampa Bay, Carolina. I want to talk about a little bit from about that game from my perspective as a Panthers fan. So this this wasn't Teddy Bridgewater's finest moment. He he had quite a few turnovers. Um, I believe he had four turnovers, two interceptions, uh, two fumbles. I believe um, two of his interceptions were just bad, 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 bad. Um, he threw one ball. He put too much um, air on one ball, trying to just like lob it to McCaffrey on the running back screen. He then threw another pick to. Um, I think it was Carson Davis, a throw behind DJ Moore. And if he was accurate on that throw, Moore might have the space to really get out into the open and make a big play. But, um, and also he was pressured a lot all day. That, that Bucks, um, pass rush is really, really solid. Now, granted, Carolina doesn't have the best offensive line in the world. They, they're probably one of the bottom five worst offensive lines in the NFL. Um, Matt Paradis, who the Panthers signed a couple seasons ago, still is not the player we saw in Denver when he was playing for them. He still doesn't – he just hasn't shown that yet. And I think it at this point, center has to be one of the bigger needs for Carolina this offseason. So I believe he's definitely going to be a – he's going to be a – potential cut in the offseason um, in 2021. Um, so this is probably his last year in Carolina, if I'd have to guess. He just hasn't shown that yet. Now, granted, it's two weeks into the season. I mean, things can change, but it's – that offensive line does not look good, except for Taylor Moton, who's still one of the better young offense tackles at right tackle in the NFL, in my opinion. He's – he should have a contract extension right now, but Marty Herney's more focused about some about the games um, this coming week or the rest of the season, and he just never wanted to re-sign Taylor Moton, and that's what happened with James Bradbury um, last year. Like people were saying, "Hey, re-sign Bradbury, keep your top corner here," but no, Marty Herney wanted to. Focus on the season, focus on other things rather than focus on their top players getting contracts, which is beyond me. Sorry for going on a rant about Marty Turney, but he does not need to be the general manager for the Carolina Panthers anymore. He is absolute garbage. Get him the hell out. (sighs) Sorry. Had to get that out. But there were some things I was impressed with. Um... DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, both of them had um, over 100 yards receiving for the first Carolina receiver duo to have 100 yards receiving since, um, I believe it was 2004 with Muhammad or with Masin Muhammad and can't remember who the other player was. It might have been Steve Smith, it may have not been Steve Smith, 
No, Steve Smith got hurt that year, so it had to be another player. I, I don't remember who it was. I think it was Cole something. But, um, yeah, it, it's been a long time since that's happened, and it goes to show that Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, they're the true receive, the true top targets for uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Seems like Curtis Samuel now, he's just become an afterthought in this offense, which sucks because he's talented. He has that potential to really be a good football player, but he doesn't get the opportunities, doesn't get the targets because of that receiver room, because of how much talent they have with Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore, then having to spread those targets out with Christian McCaffrey, who's now hurt. And we'll talk, and I'll talk about that in a second. Ian Thomas, Chris Manhurts, um, and also Mike Davis, who got some uh, ramps when McCaffrey got hurt. Um, so we'll have to see what happens with Curtis Samuel. He could get traded before the trade deadline. And I'm hoping Carolina says, hey, New England, Bill, can we have some of your draft picks, some of your day two, day three draft picks? And we'll give you Curtis Samuel, one of Cam Newton's favorite weapons from when he was in Carolina in 2018. We'll give you him. We get some draft picks. We got enough ammo to potentially. We got some more ammo to trade up if we need to in day two, but we'll have to wait and see. But with Christian McCaffrey hurt, he's now out for the next two to six weeks with an ankle, with a high ankle sprain. Um, now Mike Davis is starting right back with Reggie Bonifon backing him up. So they're basically going with a two-headed backfield with Davis and Bonifon. Davis showed some good potential as a receiving back um, against Tampa Bay when uh, McCaffrey got hurt. Davis is a really solid running back. I mean, he's been more of a journeyman, but when he's out on the field and he's um, like on on the field making plays, like he he's a really solid running back. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Caroline does without their top offensive player or their top player overall. And it'll be interesting to see how Tay Bridgewater um, does without McCaffrey because McCaffrey's basically one of your top targets, one of your top weapons on offense. So losing him is just a big loss for that offense. But this could be the opportunity that Curtis Samuel has been waiting for. He could be getting reps out of the backfield as the run, as one of the running backs with Davis and Bonifant. And Samuel could also have more targets in the passing game. So then you just, instead of having to focus or trying to get some, get some of the passing targets to, um, Mike Davis or Reggie Bonifant, get the targets to someone like Ian Thomas, Curtis Samuel, guys that really need those targets to really prove themselves. So, um, next week's going to be a big week for them. They're playing, um, at Los Angeles against the Chargers. Um, against potentially Justin Herbert, who could be starting um, this weekend um, if Tyrod Taylor can't go. Um, and Herbert should be the start of the rest of the season. Herbert had an incredible game in his first start against Kansas City. No one even knew he was going to be starting up until like the last few seconds. It was like, hey, you're going to be – like five seconds before the game, it was like, hey, you're going to be the starter today. Herbert's probably like, oh, my God, whoa. But he came in there, played a great game, whatnot. But overall – Impressed. I was somewhat impressed with Carolina overall, how competitive they were, how how much fight they put into that game. Um, they made the game interesting when they were down just seven points, twenty-one to fourteen at one point, and then Tom Brady and then the Bucks started to pull away. Um, Tampa Bay looks like a good football team. 
Tom Brady, he was he looked good. Not as good as I was expecting him to be, but the bright spots on Carolina's defense were Brian Burns and Russell Douglas, who have arguably been the Panthers' two best players on defense the last two weeks. And Douglas only just came to the roster like two weeks ago. So it just goes to show that maybe a change of scenery for Douglas was probably the right move for him, which is great because Douglas has looked good. He's been looking good in coverage, making plays against the run. And also Brian Burns, God, he, he's bound to have like a monster breakout game that like he's hitting home late, but the, his plan of attack, his pass rushes have been incredible. Um, just showing like the speed, the pass rush vision, um, the plan of attack, the fluidity, the fluidity, the bend, everything that made him the coveted prospect he was in the 2019 draft. Like he, I think it's either going to be this upcoming weekend or even the next that Brian Burns actually hits home and Caroline can actually get some production from the sack department because they have no sacks, only one QB hit. So pass rush is the problem for Carolina right now. It could be they're still adjusting to a new type of defense, a new different scheme under Phil Snow. So we'll have to wait and see. Week three could really give us a better picture of what that defense is like for the rest of the year potentially. But again, things could change overall throughout the season. We're only, we're now three weeks into the year. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, Devin, what are your thoughts from last night's game? Monday Night Football, Raiders, Saints. I woke up this morning thinking the Raiders, the Saints had come back and just put a beating on, uh, Las Vegas. And sure enough, I see them, they lost by 10 points. I'm like, holy crap, what the hell happened? Tell me what happened, dude. Like, is Breeze really done? Um, man, um, where do I start? So. <laughs> The Saints got off to a good start. You know, first quarter, they were up 10-0. Uh, they looked like they were about to put the game away. Um, and then they just couldn't capitalize, and then Las Vegas finally got their footing. Uh, I'll tell you this. Uh, Darren Waller is a top three tight end in this league. Um, he really – he just destroyed the Saints. He destroyed the Saints last night. Uh, he had 12 catches, 103 yards, and a touchdown. The Saints had no answer for him. They tried to guard him with Malcolm Jenkins, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, P.J. Williams, Demario Davis. They tried to throw everyone at him, and they had no answer for him defensively. Uh, Josh Jacobs really, uh, really beat up the Saints in, in the run game. I'm just disappointed. Before I get to Drew Brees, I'm just disappointed in Malcolm Jenkins and Cameron Jordan. Uh, they're supposed to be two of the better players on the Saints football team. Um Cam Jordan had absolutely no pressures against the third string right tackle for Las Vegas. Um, and then Malcolm Jenkins was just getting ate up in coverage all night long. Um, he just, he couldn't guard Darren Waller. He really couldn't guard anyone. He, he was getting beat by everyone, missing tackles in the open field. It was just an ugly game all around. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore, he's usually a really good coverage guy. He was getting, uh, he was getting beat by Brian Edwards. Uh, and then Henry Ruggs had one catch, but he, he drew like two or three pass interference calls just from his speed. Um, so it was, it was a lot of just 
terrible defense last night. Uh, Saints had 12 penalties for 129 yards. Uh, they have over 200 penalty yards this season, which is far, far most the most in the NFL. Um, and then offensively, I mean, it was just Alvin Kamara and pretty much everyone else. Emmanuel Sanders didn't have a single catch until the last drive of the fourth quarter. Um, Jared Cook wasn't really involved that much. Now we just get to Drew Brees. Um, this is definitely his last season. Um, he's looked really bad the first two weeks. He's just missing throws that he normally would make. Um, he's not passing the ball past 20 yards. There, there was absolutely no downfield throws last night for him. Um, he's just missing wide open guys, missing them short, skipping them off the ground. Uh, it's, I think that time is coming, man. Um, he, he just has not looked good at all. He just, I, I just don't even know what to say about that. Wait a minute. Are you saying why I think you're saying? Are you saying at some point this season, yes. maybe even sooner rather than later, that Jameis Winston could be the starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints this year? Is that mm-hmm. what you're saving? Or is that what you're saying, Devin Jackson? Yeah, so basically, this is what I'm thinking. If the Saints even make it to the Super Bowl, it's going to be either a Philly situation or it's going to be a Denver Broncos situation from 2015, I believe, when they played the the Carolina Panthers. Uh, because Drew Brees is not going to beat anybody. He, he the, the Raiders literally dared him to beat him with his arm, and he couldn't do it. Um, he just couldn't move the ball. He couldn't string together possessions. Now, the offensive line had their issues, but generally speaking, he had time to throw on most throws, and he was just missing guys. I know the stats are deceiving. He threw for 300 yards, but at least 140 or 50 of them came in the last two drives when the Raiders were playing soft defense uh, after they had already gone up 31 to 17. Um, The Saints didn't score from the like the five-minute mark of the second quarter until the five-minute mark of the fourth quarter. There was just a lot of just ugliness all around. So they play the Packers next. Uh, That is not encouraging after that performance last night. On Sunday night, uh, they play will play the Green Bay Packers, uh, playing a red-hot Aaron Rodgers. Uh, We could not guard Darren Waller. Um, They got Devontae Adams. Not really feeling confident right now. Uh, for some reason, Marshawn Lattimore never plays at the same level every game. Uh, he'll be locked in to play against like Mike Evans or, you know, one of the top receivers, Amari Cooper. But, you know, he's, he played against a rookie and then Hunter Renfro and he just could not guard them. So it was just all around a disappointing performance. Really the only, only good play last night from the Saints defense was Demario Davis and, uh, Malcolm Roach, uh, inside defensive lineman. Everyone, uh, and Trey Hendrickson as well. Everyone else just pretty much just didn't care about the game. It just didn't play well. So I gotta get credit to the Raiders, man. Uh, John Gruden played it. He called a hell of a game last night. Uh, he literally found the mismatch every single play. Uh, and that was Darren Waller, literally every play. Um, he found the mismatch and, and they exploited it. 
Derek Carr played a really, really good game. That's what you want to see out of your quarterback, especially into a year where he could potentially be replaced if they don't have a good season. So I got to give credit to the Raiders. Uh, they really bounced back after the first couple possessions where the Saints pretty much just shut them down. Um, but yeah, it, it was not a good game at all for the Saints. It, it was very disappointing. You're hearing that right now. Um, they're working on my fence. Um, we're getting a whole brand new fence. It's mostly up, but some parts haven't been added yet. And they just came in for the first time in like two weeks. Uh, so, um, if that's what you're hearing in the background, my apologies, but I'll say this about the Raiders. They're 2-0. They looked good against Carolina. And from the highlights I've seen against New Orleans, they looked good against New Orleans as well. Are the Oakland Raiders a good football team? Their offensive line, if, they, if their second or third string team or right tackle is shutting down Cameron Jordan and not allowing Jordan to get to the quarterback – that offensive line is probably one of the better lines, if not one of the top three best lines in the NFL. Because I saw that line against Carolina the week before, and I'm like, well, okay, they're, they haven't really getting – Carolina wasn't going to get pressure a lot anyway because they were playing a good offensive line, but you're doing that against the New Orleans Saints defensive line, which is arguably better than Carolina's? Like, that's impressive. And how well they were playing against New Orleans, one of the more deeper teams in the NFL, one of the better teams in the NFL. They did that. That's, that's impressive. That's very, very impressive. I'm, I'm excited to see what Oakland does from here on out because if they start three and oh, we, we're going to have to say, Hey, Raiders are legit, but. The Raiders are playing New England next week. Cam Newton, and this is where we're leading off to the New England game or the Sunday night football game between New England and Seattle. Cam Newton had a phenomenal, phenomenal football game. Um, Russell Wilson had a great game as well. So we need to talk about this game. New, New England, Seattle, that game was just incredible. That was a great game to watch. Cam Newton and Russell Wilson going head-to-head. Wilson looking like he's on his way to having a insanely monster year. Um, he had five passing touchdowns to five different targets. Um, he was as good as he's ever been, probably better than he has um, throughout his entire career. Um, he was just going out there going crazy, and just to see him come from being a – game manager early in his career to now being arguably the top quarterback in football right now is phenomenal. But I want to talk about Cam Newton's game because the only reason I am watching the New England Patriots very closely this year is because of Cam Newton and Cam Newton and I am Cam, one Cam Newton's biggest fans from when he was in Carolina and now he's in New England. I'm one of his biggest supporters and one of his biggest defenders because I truly believe in his talent and how he is as a person and as a football player. But anyways, he's back, Devin. Cam Newton, he's back to being a very good football player, and I'll I'll go even as far as saying he's one of the more elite quarterbacks in the NFL right now. 
He was accurate for most of the night, despite that one interception to Quentin Dunbar on a very predictable um, quick out, which Dunbar almost picked off earlier in the game. Um, and then he finally got the pick. And so that was probably one of the more iffy throws from Newton that uh, uh, Sunday night. But overall, um, he was starting with great touch, great ball placement. His arm looked insanely good he, um, as he was just throwing bombs left and right. Um, make He made great plays on the ground, including two scores um, at the goal line. It sucks he got stopped short at the goal line because – Here's the thing. If Cam Newton gets across that goal line at the end, at the end of that game, that's easily one of his best games ever, ever. One of his best performances ever. One of the best drives or game winning drives he's ever had. Probably the greatest game winning drive he's ever had. Despite the loss, Patriots fans, you are in great hands. Great, great hands. And I'm here to argue that you give him a contract extension right now. Because if Cam Newton's going to continue to play like he is right now, this is comeback player of the year, easily, over Roethlisberger. The way he's playing and how he has been involved at the goal line. He Newton's been their best rushing, best running back, easily. And he's the starting quarterback. It in a, in a way it kind of reminds me of how he was in 2017 with Carolina when he led the team in rushing yards and I believe he led the team in rushing touchdowns. So he's going to probably do that this year, it, unless Sonny Michelle or another running back ends up stepping up. But I think their goal line package is basically going to be Cam Newton throwing quick game or running him at the goal line, and he's probably going to have 10, 15 touchdowns on the ground this year just because he's going to be scoring a bunch in the red zone and especially inside the five-yard line. But Patriots fans don't need to worry about Cam Newton right now anymore. He looks healthy. He's got a great offensive line in front of him, um, which is good to Good to finally say about Cam Newton because he's never had a good offensive line. He's got some legit weapons. Demary Bird looked good. Former Panther, former teammate of Cam Newton's. Nikhil Harry looked like a true possession wide receiver and like he thrived in the intermediate areas. He's not going to be like this fancy type of football player we were all expecting coming out of Arizona State. He's a possession receiver and he can be successful as a possession receiver for New England. Julian Edelman had one of his best games of his career. He had the best, he had the most receiving yards he's had in a single game ever in his entire career. He's been in the NFL quite a long time. And so him, Edelman's basically become Cam Newton's Greggles in a sense. So now you're getting that chemistry going with Edelman. You get that chemistry going a lot more and throughout the season. Edelman could end up being one of the league leaders in either receptions or receiving yards or even touchdowns. Like, that's going to be a great duo, great quarterback-running back duo. And I'll say this right now, and like I said earlier, um, I believe Cam Newton's an elite quarterback right now. I believe he's one of the top five QBs in the NFL. He's up there with Mahomes, Wilson, Jackson, Watson. You can even add Rodgers to that list if you want to. 
Devin, what were your thoughts from, or what are your thoughts from Sunday night's game? And do you think these two teams could possibly meet up again come, say, February? Um, I don't know how high the possibility is that they both make it. Um, but I was impressed by, you know, both quarterbacks play. Uh, finally the Seahawks are basically handing the keys over to Russell Wilson and allowing him to throw the ball down the field and throw the ball more than 20 times a game. Um, and not just relying on the run game to get them where they need to be. And he has to bail them out on third and longs. They're allowing him to operate the offense like he should have been for the last two, three years. Uh, he's proven that he's not just a game manager. He's a quarterback that can make plays outside of the pocket and throw the ball down the field. Has probably the best deep ball in the NFL, I would think. Uh, it just hangs up there, and it just always just drops in the bucket. Uh, so you got to give Russell Wilson a ton of credit. He's, he's really done well with the opportunities presented to him, um, and he's – Definitely a, a front runner right now at this point to be MVP. Uh, if, if the season ended today, I would give him the MVP at least. Um, Absolutely. But uh, he played really well. I was impressed with Cam Newton as well. Uh, I, I have kind of a joke. I'm calling him Cameron because he plays for the New England Patriots, kind of the bad guy. So you, you got to call him Cameron Newton. But uh, he played really well, man. That was vintage Cam Newton stuff there on Sunday night, um, running the ball. Uh, throwing the ball downfield, he's throwing with insane, uh, you know, insane velocity, uh, just like we, we're accustomed to him seeing. Uh, you know, he's definitely worked on some of his touch as well. Uh, he's definitely getting better with that. He hit Julian Elliman on that last drive on the beautiful uh, vertical route down the seam. Um, he's putting the ball in, in tight windows like he, he's we've seen him accustomed to doing. Uh, and that's exciting for New England Patriots fans, you know. You saw kind of a bit of a decline from Tom Brady. He wasn't really throwing the ball down the field effectively. They didn't have a quarterback for a long time that can escape pressure. So now with Cam Newton in the fold, they have so many different options and whatnot to uh, bring to the table offensively, and they can continue to be fluid offensively. They show they can throw the ball. They can beat you throwing the ball. Uh, they can beat you with Cam Newton runs. Unfortunately, they couldn't get you know Cam Newton in zone that last play. And, you know, I saw a lot of people saying he should have bounced it. It was a dumb play call. But when you have him at the one-yard line, you know, with the game on the line, you got to do what you got to do, you know? It's Cam Newton 99 out of 100 times. He is automatic from first and goal or goal to go from the one-yard line. Like, he he's that type of player. He, he looked a lot more accurate than he was in Carolina, even more accurate than he was in 2018 um, during his first eight games that year. Um, he 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 looked so, so good. I, it was happy to see Cam Newton play well again, play at a high, high level. Um, and if you remember, like I think it was like the play before the goal line stand, um, or it was something like that, or they got to the goal line and they were able to call timeout and whatnot, but Newton had Julian Edelman, um, I think it was on a deep slant or on a post, he had Edelman. Edelman looked like it, it was like accurate throw, Edelman had it in his hands, 
and it just like went right through his hands incomplete. And it was like one of those throws and you're like, oh, he's dealt with that so many times in Carolina. Kind of happened to him again at the end of the game, um, Sunday night. Um, if Edelman makes that catch, it's a touchdown. New England's probably going to end up winning the game. But like, I don't see New England being a bad team this year. I think they were playing a very good Seahawks team with Russell Wilson at quarterback, and that offense is going to be insane. Speaking of that offense, DK Metcalf is a beast. I jokingly said he was elite, um, and some people took it seriously. Um, I was like, no, I don't think Metcalf's elite yet, but he can get there. Metcalf looks even better than he did last year. He looks... So much quicker, um, so much more smoother than he was um, past couple of years. He's really gotten right. Um, he's gotten better as a route runner. Um, his releases at the line of scrimmage are just so violent, so nuanced. Like, he is so hard to beat at the line of scrimmage. And if you get, if you beat, if you get beat by Metcalf at the line of scrimmage, you could just forget it. Because he's got the speed and the size to really just go go the distance, catch the ball over you, um, extend out, make um, make plays. You know, Metcalf is, is a special talent. Um, like I want to bring up the tweet that um, like some guy, his name is NFC Doug on Twitter. Um, he called Joe Marino of the Draft Network a bastard for saying that DK Metcalf was a good player and I'm and that tweet got retweeted retweet retweeted by Kyle Krabs and I was of the draft network um and I was like yeah it, like the amount of people that did not like Metcalf is insane and Carter Donick um of the draft network who we know uh, really well he posted a, one of his finer videos that he's posted on Twitter of all the tweets saying Metcalf is going to be a bust. This does not look like a dude that's going to be a bust. This is a dude that looks like he's bound to become one of the better receivers in the NFL, probably one of the more elite talents at the receiver position. So that game Sunday night was probably one of the better games I've seen in, a, in quite some time. Um, I know it's probably recency bias. I'll probably have to – go back and look at other games from the past, but it was really refreshing to see a game that that was that good and that intense at the end. My because as a Cam Newton fan, like that final drive, my heart was pounding, dude. It it so many times it like dropped to my stomach. I was like, holy cow, this is it I, I felt like a Panthers fan again. Like just hope I wanted to see Cam Newton pull this thing off. But if he didn't it still showed he's going to be the QB for New England for for the long term if he can stay healthy. Um, and another thing, something that was interesting, Cam Newton's 397 yards passing Sunday night was the most passing yardage total he's had in his career since his rookie year when in his first two games as an NFL quarterback, he threw for 400 yards against the Arizona Cardinals and the Green Bay Packers. So the fact that he's now being more involved in the passing game, like he's 
looking good in passing games, throwing downfield more accurate than he ever has or he's ever been. This is going to be a scary campaign to watch for the rest of the year. I'm really excited. Let's get into some college football. Ladies and gentlemen, the Big Ten is coming back after initially deciding to postpone the season back in August. Uh, the Big Ten Conference was, was provided more with more evidence, better medical advice from doctors, and unanimous, unanimously voted to start the season on the weekend of October 23rd and 24th, with the conference title game being played on December 19th. Devin, you live in Big Ten country. What is the feeling around the Penn State fan base with football coming back this fall, like now realizing, hey, we, we actually have football being played in the Big Ten and for Penn State this fall. What does that mean for the Big Ten's return um, and or what it means for football coming back this fall? What does the Big Ten's return mean for upcoming prospects for the 2021 NFL draft that have either opted out or have opted back in or are still playing this season? Uh, I think it's huge. Uh, I think that it was, um, something that really needed to happen. Um, you know, they still feel like, you know, they kind of did it prematurely, uh, and shut things down. Um, but uh, it was needed, man. Uh, fans are excited here. Get to see Penn State this fall. I think, you know, they're disappointed that they're not going to be able to go to the games, but, uh, just seeing Penn State football this year, uh, here specifically is, is going to be exciting. Uh, the schedule came out, you know, over the weekend as well. Uh, it's going to be a tough road for a lot of teams like Nebraska and Indiana. Nebraska really got the short end of the stick. Uh, they play Ohio State though their inaugural week of the Big Ten returning. Uh, that is probably one of the worst teams you can draw as a first game. Um, so Indiana and Nebraska are going to have a tough go this year. Um, but otherwise, you know, Michigan will have a tough go as well. But otherwise, you know, it should be an interesting uh, kind of layout. They have it where they have eight regular season games, and then they're going to have um, basically uh, each, like, based on the seedings of each division. So, like, the number one team from the East plays the number one team for the West, number two, number two, three, three. So they're going to do that on the championship week, the last game of the season, uh, game number nine. So that'll be interesting to see, you know, some of those mid-range teams play each other that normally don't get to play each other. But at the same time, it'll be interesting to see who wins the Big Ten in general. Um, you know, Ohio State and Penn State are at the top of the line uh, when you look at teams that could win it. Um, and then on the west side is Minnesota, uh, Iowa, and uh, Wisconsin, basically. So those five teams look like they're going to be poised to uh, really make a run at the Big Ten championship. And then prospect wise, I mean, you know, Minnesota is working on getting Rashad Bateman back. That's huge. Uh, I think that's someone that, you know, both of us really like and we've talked about before when he yeah. opted out. Um, so him getting another season will only, you know, continue to boost his draft stock. Uh, Wyatt Davis and Sean Wade both coming back for Ohio State. That's big uh, for both of their stocks. Uh, we get to see Wade play outside corner, um, something we've been wanting him to do. He is. Definitely the ultimate chess piece. Um, you know, he's played inside corner, the nickel spot. Uh, honestly, he could probably play the safety spot as well, uh, you know, if need be. Um, but, you know, it's, it's exciting. Uh, Justin Fields gets to get to take the field once again, and we get to see him make that year two jump and see if he can 
uh, continue to improve and, and prove that he is indeed a first round pick this season. Um, so I'm excited about that. You know, some other guys that really needed this season, Quiddy Pay, Edge, Edge Rush out of Michigan. We needed him to, to play. Uh, I believe Jalen Mayfield is not coming back from Michigan, so he's going to stay in the draft process. I, I think I saw Jalen Mayfield's coming back. Oh, he is? I think so. I, let me look at it real quick. Um, I could have sworn I saw a tweet on the timeline. I made a quote the tweet. I'm not sure. Um, all right, here we go. Jalen Mayfield, Michigan. Let's see. Uh, news. Yeah, ESPN three days ago, offensive lineman Jalen Mayfield opts back in for Michigan Wolverines. So Jalen Mayfield coming back this season. That's yeah, that's that's huge. That's huge, man. Uh, he him coming back as well. Uh, that's going to be big. Uh, you know, some Penn State guys I think as well that that can benefit from another season. Uh, certainly, um, Journey Brown. I think that a lot of people are kind of all over the place with him. Um, but I think he's going to be a top back, you know, once things um, unfold. Uh, Jason Owe, uh, edge rusher for Penn State, he's a freak. Uh, he really ha- hasn't played a starting role for Penn State. He's more of a rotational guy the last couple seasons. Um, he will get a chance to uh, show what he can do uh, and, and many others in, in the Big Ten. I think that, you know, in terms of top talent, Big Ten is definitely up there with the SEC uh, in ACC in terms of players that they'll produce in the first round. Um, so it, it'll be exciting to see, uh, you know, some offensive linemen as well. Tyler Lindenbaum, uh, Alaric Jackson for Iowa, two guys that uh, will look to improve their stock as well this season uh, when I think of offensive linemen. So we'll, we'll see, man. Um, we'll see what happens. I'm excited for the season, excited for Big Ten to come back. Uh, you know, something, a uh, conference I, I spent a lot of my time covering last year. So I think it'll be interesting to see what happens and, and how things look. The only thing I have concerns with is that when a player tests positive, they are not allowed to participate in athletic activity for 21 days. Um, that rule there is going to be um, a, a very talked about. Uh, you know, we're going to lose potentially top players for three weeks if they do test positive. So yeah. that is the the scary part for um you know, everything that's going on with the Big Ten, but we're glad to have him back. Same here. And, you know, we're getting Ohio State back. We For the college football playoff, we won't really know what the discretion will be from the playoff committee as to if the Big Ten will have any sort of eligibility for the playoff. And if they do, which I assume they would, Ohio State's probably the best team in the country. Like, I truly believe they are the best team in the country right now. Clemson, like, no question, they're the top team right now. But, like, over the likes of Clemson and Bama and Georgia, Oklahoma, like, all those other teams, Ohio State's probably the top of the crop. Like, uh... Like, he's 
or Ohio State has all the talent in the world. Like they are deep in so many places. They have a lot of potential on that defensive line because we could see some potential breakouts from like Tyree Smith or Jonathan Cooper. Um, and if we see breakouts from them, I've heard some, I've heard a lot of good things about um, Tyree Smith that he is the next like legitimate um, insane pass rusher that we have seen over the past few years with um, Nick Boza and Chase Young. People are saying he is um, just as good as them, which makes me very, very intrigued on in how well he does over the over the season. Um, you know, Justin Fields being able to play this year. Um, right now, I'm not comfortable with either Fields or Lance because if I'm picking in, if I'm a team picking in the top five in the 2021 NFL Draft, and Fields and Lands are on the board, but I I have a team that can really make the jump potentially to being a 500 team. Like I, I think Carolina could be a good example. If I believe that, if I don't think Fields can be a day one starter, I'm, I would be hesitant about picking him in the top five. But if he can show improvement in a couple areas, I think he is, he can be a legitimate franchise quarterback and a day one starter. And I think Carolina is like really in need of that day one starter because right now, Dave Bridgewater, I don't know how long Panther fans can really handle Bridgewater for another season, let alone another game because they do not like him right now. But um, that's a different topic for another day. But Fields, Getting this playing time, getting games or having being able to play games at all this season is really, really good for him um, to help improve his stock. And like you said, like just trying to improve his game a little bit more. Um, I I really hope Micah Parsons can come back because if he can come back for Penn State, Penn State's in national championship contention. They have the team a little bit uh, a little bit skeptical about the quarterback situation. Sean Clifford. Not a big fan of them. Not. They need a legitimate quarterback that can push the ball downfield, and Clifford is not that guy. He's basically Trace McSorley 2.0. So that's all I got to say about that. But, again, it's good to see the Big Ten coming back. Um, I've already updated my playoff predictions. I believe I had Ohio State as the number one team in the country, or number one um, for the final playoff ranking. Um, Clemson number two. Georgia number three and Oklahoma number four, if I remember correctly. And then I had uh, Florida and Penn State as the last two teams out, not Bama or LSU. Or, you know, I like LSU, and this leads to the SEC coming back this weekend. We need to see what LSU can, does have because they've lost a lot of talent to the NFL draft and opt-outs. They lost Jamar Chase. They lost Kerry Benson um, for the season. I know another player came back or opted back in. Um, they've had some criticism about how they've handled the um, protocol, health and safety protocols and the COVID-19 pandemic. And There's some outrage about that, but I want to see how well this team can do post Joe Burrow and without Jamar Chase and without all those talented players, because right now your really good football players on both sides of the ball are 
Terrace Marshall and Derek Stingley, Jacoby, Jacoby Stevens, maybe, um, Jabril Cox, maybe Miles Brennan can be something. Um, they're starting a freshman at tight end and, um, Eric Gilbert, who is highly recruited and very hyped up coming into this season. But, um, SEC football is back this weekend, folks. We get to see Georgia, LSU, Florida, Bama, Auburn, and the rest of the SEC in action for the first time this season. We do have some ranked matchups um, uh, to start out for the season since the SEC has been ranked in the AP polls for the last couple weeks. Um, we'll go down to schedule real quick for this weekend. Uh, Kentucky at Auburn on the SEC network as the ranked, uh, ranked, one of the ranked matchups to talk about. That will be at 12 p.m. Florida will be travel, is traveling to Ole Miss this weekend. That will be at 12 p.m. on ESPN. LSU will be hosting Mississippi State at 3.30 on CBS as, um, CBS's, um, SEC game for the weekend. Georgia at Arkansas at 4 p.m. on the SEC network. That's probably going to be a blowout. Bama at Missouri at 7 p.m. on ESPN. That's probably going to be a blowout, but we'll begin to see guys like Jalen uh, Jalen Waddle, uh, Nick Bolton, uh, Patrick Sertan, um, Dylan Moses, Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, Alex um, Leatherwood. Like we're going to be seeing some really good Jeff prospects in that game, so that'll be a game I could uh, end up watching that this weekend. Tennessee going to Car- South Carolina at 7:30 p.m. on the SEC Network, and then Vanderbilt at Texas A&M, 7.30 p.m. Eastern on the SEC Network alternate uh, channel. So, Devin, what what games stand out to you this weekend, and who do you think ends up winning the SEC? Uh, for me, I think this weekend I got to look at that Kentucky-Auburn game uh, simply for the fact that that is – Probably going to be one of the better games this weekend. I think a lot of people are underrated, um, you know, in terms of, um, you know, being able to be a good football team. You know, they got Terry Wilson coming back. Their offensive line is phenomenal. They probably have one of the best offensive lines in the country. Uh, Drake Jackson, Landon Young, that whole offensive line looks like a draftable uh, offensive line, to be honest. Um they look really good offensively. They got a lot of uh, guys coming back defensively. They have some talent as well, but I'm more interested to see, you know, the SEC fresh offensive freshman. Well, excuse me, SEC freshman of the year, Bo Nix. A lot of people have varying opinions on him. Some say he could be a top pick in 2022. Derek Stingley should have been defensive rookie of the year in the SEC or play, player of the year. Rookie of the year, whatever. Yeah. Yes, he's. Um, I don't care. So I'm I'm interested to see how he plays. Uh, Seth Williams as well. Uh, defensively for Auburn, Big Cat Bryant, uh, KJ Britt are two guys I'm watching uh, in the in that linebacker core. Um, and then you know they got some some decent sec- secondary players as well. Smoke Monday uh, among other players. Uh, so I'm excited to see that matchup. I think that that will probably provide us the best one. Uh, potentially Mississippi State LSU as well. LSU has, like you said, a lot returning. We got the Kedja Costello, you know, his uh, debut at Mississippi State. Mike Leach as well. And then Kylan Hill, someone very coveted, uh, very talented as a running back. Someone, 
you know, could possibly be a day two, day three guy, depending on how things shape out this year. Uh, so that will be exciting to watch. Um, and to, to win the SEC, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really feeling Florida, man. I think Florida has what it takes to win it. Uh, I think Kyle Trask has a, a, a significantly better year uh, under, you know, another year as quarterback. Like like we all know of his story, he hadn't started a game since high school, uh, which was insane. So I think that, you know, he's going to be able to do some things. He, uh, you know, got in the film room. He has weapons. You know, he has his tight end, Kyle Pitts, uh, which who will be a top two tight end in this draft class. So. I think they, they have what it takes. Uh, you know, some teams to watch though. Mississippi State is a team to watch. I think that I don't expect them to be a, a top team, but they could really make lives difficult for teams if they can get going offensively. Uh, I think that's going to be their calling card this year. Uh, they have a few defensive players, but in general, the offense is going to be where they lay their hat. Um, you know, and then, uh, in the Eastern side, I will watch Tennessee. Uh, you know, they, they, you know, the quarterback situation isn't great, but they have a ton of talent. Their defense is really good. Uh, they have some prospects that I'll be looking out for, uh, two DBs that I think, uh, could, could be future draft picks, uh, as well. You know, Tennessee is a well coached football team. They really turn things around with, uh, it's Jeremy Pruitt, right? He, he's coaching them. I think so. Uh, he's yeah, really sure. turned, he, he really turned things around uh, for this football team. You're playing South Carolina, who is starring a new quarterback. Uh, and honestly, South Carolina doesn't have a lot. You know, they had Brian Edwards. He He's off the NFL. But defensively, they got those two corners, uh, Mukuramu and uh, J.C. Horn, the two guys that we'll be watching as well on the nightcap of that game. But I think Tennessee has a really talented team and could potentially make a run this year and, and be – you know, one of those dark horse SEC East contenders. Uh, they have a tough schedule. They play Georgia, Kentucky, Alabama back to back to back. Uh, and then they'll finish the season, Texas A&M, Auburn, uh, and then Florida the last game. So they have a really tall task, but if they can, can win, uh, you know, five, six, seven of those games, I think they, they can continue their trajectory. They just need to figure things out with the quarterback, but, I got Florida win the SEC this year. It would only be fitting in 2020 where a team out of nowhere comes and wins the SEC, and that team could potentially be Tennessee or Mississippi State or Auburn or Ole Miss. Definitely not Vanderbilt. Definitely not Arkansas. Definitely not Missouri. Yeah. Ole Miss has talent, uh, but, man, it's going to be incredibly difficult first year. One of my good friends, um, she goes or she's going to she's a freshman at Ole Miss uh, this year, so um, I'm going to be keeping an eye a little bit more on Ole Miss, but just for her sake because I like watching football, you know. But um, yeah, my winner for the SEC, and I kind of hinted it um, when I was telling you my playoff prediction, with is the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, they're returning a lot of their players from last year. Um, very talented defense, very talented offense. That offensive line is really, really solid up front. Um, you got guys on offense like it. First off, the running back room: Zamari White, the brother. Uh, I think he is he. No, that's not the brother. Never mind. Zamari White, 
one of the starting running backs, James Cook. He's the younger brother of Dalvin Cook. So we'll begin to see those two on the field a lot. Both of them are draft eligible. So we could see two Georgia running backs potentially in the NFL draft if they have good seasons. If they can stay healthy, we won't know until the end of the season and whatnot. But you got sophomore George Pickens, who is just a phenomenal football player, who's probably going to be the 2022 yeah. wide receiver one. Yeah, he, uh, he's Rose. already. I'm I'm to put my stand by him, man. Uh, I'm I'm already saying that's one of my 2022 guys. I watched him in passing, uh, watching Georgia offensive line, and he just has a ridiculous catch radius that so many bad balls were thrown by Jake Fromm. He bailed him out so many times. So many times, man. Yeah. I think if they – I think they have a legitimate quarterback that can drive the ball downfield, JT Daniels. So if they're able to do that and with the weapons they have, they have Demetrius Robertson. Um, I don't think I don't think JT Daniels is starting. He's listed on the starter of the depth chart, and I'm looking at the Outlands depth chart. Unless I – unless Georgia's already – Oh, well, they uh, – Okay. Uh, all right. Apparently, they. I thought that at some point they didn't name JT Daniels a starter, but now they're saying that he'll be cleared for the game. So I think that they were anticipating him not being clear uh, injury wise for the game, but now they're saying that uh, you know, the quarterback battle can is continue. But a. Uh, they said that. Uh, Dewan Mathis was. Supposedly going to beat out JT Daniels for the job, but apparently there hasn't it hasn't been named just yet. They're still waiting to name it, but we'll see. Well, whoever the quarterback is going to be for Georgia this year, they can. I hope they can at least push the ball downfield because they have talent on offense everywhere. And like Georgia, like the past few seasons, they've always they've had the potential to be such elite offenses. In college football, like similar to what like we've seen with LSU and in Alabama the last couple of years in like Oklahoma, they're now going to be in an air raid offense with I forgot who the coach is. Uh, Todd Mankin, I believe, is the offensive coordinator for them. Mankin. Um, like they're going to be running more of a pro style air raid type offense. Um, they got ample talent all over the offense, future and current, um, eligible, currently eligible players for the drafts. They're on the defensive side of the ball. Stacked with talent. You got DJ Daniel, uh, Richard LeCount. Um, you also got Eric Stokes. You got, um, Tyson Campbell, um, Lewis and Sign, um, Mark Webb. Monte Rice, um, then like that, that linebacker core looks so, so good. You got Junior Quay Walker, who, and Nolan Smith, um, and, uh, Nolan Smith, the sophomore, those guys could end up getting some good reps as either the Mike or the Will linebackers. Um, you could also we'll probably hear Malik Herring's name a lot. If you remember who Malik Herring is, he was on QB1 with Jake Fromm. He was the one that was talking all that trash to him um, before the, um, before one of Fromm's games. So um, that's who that's who I remember him for. But we could see um, Malik Herring 
potentially being a riser in the senior class for the 2021 draft. Jordan Davis, who I know you like, um, the junior, he's going to be a freaking monster as the nose tackle for them on the interior. So this defensive line from, or this defensive football team from top to bottom, defensive unit from top to bottom is just absolutely incredible. They're loaded with great talent all over. Offensively, same thing. Georgia just seems like it's now their time to really break out onto the scene as one of the elite programs in college football. Like they, they looked like it when they played Bama in the national championship a couple of years ago, um, up until they got beat by Tua. Um, but you know, like now they might have a quarterback that can drive the ball downfield and Kirby Smart might actually let the quarterbacks make some throws downfield because like, Kirby Smart as a decision maker in terms of the quarterback situations he's had in the past. If they had started Justin Fields in 2018, like Georgia's in the national championship. I have no doubts about it. He, Justin Fields would have made that offense 10 times better than what it was with Jake Fromm. And the fact of how Georgia used fields when he was at Georgia is just downright criminal. They used him in the SEC championship on that fake punt, if you remember. That was just like boneheaded stupid. It was like a fourth and 15, and they ran a fake punt with Justin Fields. That that made no sense to me, and that was like, you you got to transfer after that. Like, there's no no doubt about it, but. He's turned out pretty well for Ohio State. I don't know. But Georgia's my pick for the SEC. Um, I could easily see Georgia, I could easily see Florida or Alabama sneak in there. LSU, if they prove themselves as a legitimate program for years to come in terms of national championship contention after losing all that talent, they can prove that they're still worth a championship contender, then LSU should definitely be in the argument for SEC um or, or for the winner of the SEC and maybe even a college football playoff contender. So SEC still stacked with talent, still stacked with amazing football players, um, amazing NFL talent. Um, we're really excited to see that this weekend for the first time. And to end the podcast, I meant to show this earlier, and Devin hasn't seen it. I've seen it. Um, this guy named Joseph Robert. Um, a fantasy football counselor had this to say about Christian McCaffrey getting hurt. And just listening, if I can play the video. This video is on TikTok, by the way, so a lot of people have seen it on Twitter and whatnot. So. Full 6 PMC is hurt. That is great fucking news. Everybody's upset. Everyone's like, oh, Joe, how could you say that? Guys, don't you fucking realize that CMC is a fucking model that he'd rather be out there doing GQ ads and posing cross-legged with bow ties on? Does anybody get it? Don't you guys get it? It's all the haters that are coming out now. Hey, Joe, you told me Saquon Barkley first overall. I helped you dodge the CMC bullet. The Saquon Barkley thing, that was unforeseen. The CMC thing, I said that. I called that. I said he was going to decline. I said, listen, once the guy had the pinnacle year, he was going to be a decline. Injuries are included. Listen, you guys stick up for CMC. Listen, CMC doesn't care about you because they're 
It's a TikTok video, so uncensored. Um, apologies for the profanity, but I mean, cuss all the time on here on the podcast. But you know, if you really that that's almost like saying Cam Newton is more um, isn't a good football player supposedly because he focuses more on his fashion than he does being a good football player. That like that's kind of kind of what this guy was kind of getting at with Christian McCaffrey. He's more focused on being a model than protecting his ankles. What? That's fucking stupid. That's so stupid. Why would you think that? Why do people think like this, Devin? It just blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just basically for attention, man. It's it's just stupid, man. I mean, I've seen a lot of bad takes over the last couple weekends, but, I mean, that takes a cake, you know. Yeah. You know what? What a player does off the field has n- no no direct correlation to on the field, man. Christian McCaffrey works hard, man. He he does. You can't you can't fake an ankle injury. You can't see that happening. You know, running backs get hurt all the time. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, I I don't really have much to say about it. It's just stupid, man. You know, giving 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 attention to idiots is, is just pointless at this point, man. Yeah, it's stupid. I. I don't know why this just bothers me so much. It's like, how how are you that stupid? Really? How do you think like that? And looking at the guy, it it's more like the guy's just jealous of Christian McCaffrey being a model and all, and he's not. Yeah. I'm like, my guy, you're just jealous of Christian McCaffrey doing stuff you wish you had the balls to do. Like, right. Really, like, it's stupid. And the dude's verified on Instagram. Joseph Roberts verified on Instagram as Fantasy Football Outlook, I believe. Um, yes, or Fantasy Football Counselor has tw- almost 25,000 followers on, um, on TikTok and I believe like another 10,000 or so on Instagram or something like that. Holy cow, that, that's one way to be like, okay, this is a dude that really needs to be trashed for that kind of take. Wow. That, that's stupid. Very, very stupid. All right, guys, that is it for today's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you guys later. Peace.